You are listening to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Sevierville, where our mission is helping people move from their point of need to hope in Christ. For more information about our church, head on over to severe.church. Today's sermon, Hope for the Nation, Simeon, is part four in the series, The Songs of Christmas, shared by Associate Pastor Craig Mintz. Well, good morning, everyone. Wow, what a wonderful time this has been already to just sing praises to God and to celebrate Jesus. Thank you so much for being here today. If I've never met you before, my name's Craig Mintz. I'm one of our pastors here, and it's my joy to be able to bring you the word today while Pastor Dan's down in Georgia with his family. I want to invite you to join me in the Gospel of Luke, uh, in your Bibles, in Luke chapter 2. And I'll have you read along there when I read Luke 2, 25 through 35. I just love Christmas music. I hope you do too. We've sung some wonderful songs this morning. And you know, my opinion, a real good song ought to make you feel something. Would you agree? Yeah, a a real good song ought to stir your soul in some way. It either makes you happy or sad or thoughtful. It's what keeps you listening to it again and again. We sang uh, Joy to the World this morning and I love Joy to the World because for me, it's like a pregame hype song. You know how they play music when you're warming up for basketball or football, and then you're like ready to run through a brick wall? Like, Joy to the World is like that for me when it comes to Christmas. When I sing Joy to the World, I just think about the victory I have in Jesus. And like, I just, I just want to run around like a crazy man and tell people about what Jesus has done for me. Uh, I love O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. You know, those minor chords, and it makes me think about, and it makes me feel a longing for Jesus to come, uh, for God to be with me, and for him to return again. Good songs, they ought to make us feel something, and they ought to stir our soul. And we're going to look at one of the very first Christmas songs this morning in Luke chapter 2. And what we're going to find is that Mary and Joseph were the ones to hear it. There they were in the temple with the baby Jesus, about 40 days old, there to dedicate him, and they meet this seemingly random man named Simeon. And from Simeon's lips come one of the very first Christmas songs among these others that Pastor Dan's been showing us in Luke 1 and 2. And what we find in today's passage is Luke tells us that they marveled that they were amazed at what they had heard. Has a song ever done that to you? Have you ever heard a song and then like you just turned it off and you just sat there and thought, wow. That's what it did for Mary and Joseph. When they heard these words coming from Simeon's lips, they were awestruck. They were amazed. They marveled. And I hope, my prayer is that by the time we leave here today, we would be the same. That when we hear the words that come from Simeon's lips, that we would be awestruck. That we would leave here today with almost a a holy reverence and a holy hush, thinking about what Simeon had to say about the baby Jesus in the temple that day. Let me set it up for you. In Luke chapter 2, Jesus has been born. He's already been laid in the manger The shepherds have already come. The angels have already appeared to the shepherds. All that's already happened. 
And then, like every good Jewish family, on the eighth day, Jesus was circumcised. And as he was circumcised, they gave him the name that the angel had given them, Jesus, which means the Lord saves. And then after 40 days, after 40 days from Jesus' birth, Mary has to go through a ritual of purification according to the Jewish law after childbirth. And so this is the right time for them to travel from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. And they make this five-mile journey or so up to Jerusalem to the temple. Now I want you to imagine young parents, newborn baby, making their way up to the temple Joseph's got the diaper bag on his back. Here they are coming to the temple doing what a lot of other families are doing. A lot of other families are coming as well to dedicate that firstborn child. And there's a lot of noise, animals around the temple there. The beauty and the glory, the bright shining Solomon's temple there on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And they enter into these outer courts and there's so much activity going on there and they're holding the baby Jesus. And now this man steps up to them and takes baby Jesus into their hands. And you know, that's when you call the security team, right? Like, come over here. I don't know who this random guy is, but no, they hand him over uh, to Simeon and Simeon takes him up into his arms and he speaks these words that we're going to read today. So look with me now as I read in Luke Chapter 2, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Now notice verse 33, I already mentioned it. Verse 33 says, and his father and mother marveled at what had been said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Heavenly Father, this has been the reading of your word and I just pray now that every word that I speak would be exposing your word and bringing your word to our hearts and to our minds. And we just want to stop for a moment and pray that your Holy Spirit would prepare us to hear what you want us to hear today. Lord, may you be glorified now in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. If you notice in what you read, whether it's on your phone or a real paper Bible, 
Probably your Bible breaks those verses out, 29 through 32, Simeon's song. It probably indents them or breaks them out, and it looks different than the rest of the passage. And that's a tip for you that there's something different there. That Simeon isn't just talking in normal, everyday language, but he's speaking in poetic language in a Christmas song there with Jesus. And it's so important what Simeon says here, but before we look at what Simeon says, I believe it's important to look at who Simeon was because Luke tells us who Simeon was. He says a few words about him and we need to stop and pay attention to it. First of all, Simeon was a man of God who took God's word seriously. He was a man of God who took God's word seriously. And that's what we do as God's people, don't we? True children of God take God's word, the Bible, seriously. And that's what Simeon did. You notice there in verse 25, it says that he was a man from Jerusalem who was righteous and devout. He was righteous and devout. That means that Simeon believed the word of God. And he took seriously the law of Moses. And he lived according to the commandments of God. He lived out a life. He didn't just talk the talk. He didn't just say, I love God and I'm a son of Abraham. But he lived it out. He walked the walk. Luke says he was righteous and devout. He was serious about who God was and about what God had revealed. And he lived there in Jerusalem, and he obeyed God with his life. You know, when you read Luke 1 and 2, you notice that Simeon's not the only one in Jesus' life who did that. You notice he's not just, you notice I said back there uh, just a few verses before this passage this morning that Mary and Joseph were coming to fulfill the law. They were coming to offer five shekels to dedicate Jesus as the firstborn son there in the temple. They were coming to offer the two turtle doves as the rite of purification for Mary after childbirth. They were coming to do what God's word had said. And when you see in Luke chapter one, you see it says the same thing about Zechariah and Elizabeth, that they were righteous people who obeyed the word of God. God's people take God's word seriously. These people lived out the truth of 1 John 5, 3. It's there on the screen. It says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. You see, for someone like Simeon, He didn't look at the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, and say, wow, what a burden. I guess I better do what God tells me to do. What a drag. No, God's people delight in God's word. It's not a burden for us. It's a delight for us because we love the God who gave us his word. He loves us. And when we see his word, we see how he's instructed us to live. It's not a burden for us. It's a delight for us. And it was for Simeon. He was a righteous and devout man. You know, I think something we ought to notice here in these first couple of chapters is the kind of people that God worked with and God worked in. Zechariah and Elizabeth, Joseph and Mary, Simeon and Anna. These were not famous people. These were not rich people. These were not powerful people. These were humble, available, obedient, faithful 
men and women of God who took God's word seriously. And when I read those words and I was thinking about that this week, I said, God, don't let me miss it. Don't let me miss out on being used by you. Don't let me miss out on leading someone to faith in you. Lord, don't let me miss out on your work and activity in this world because I don't take your word seriously. Because I don't seek you in your word. And I don't live a righteous and devout life because of your grace in my life. Simeon wasn't just devout in his obedience to the word of God, but he also eagerly expected the coming of the Messiah. And that's the second thing I want us to see in this morning's passage. God's people should eagerly expect Christ's coming. Well, it's Christmas Eve, isn't it? Tomorrow's the big day. All the kids in the room said amen. Right? I mean, all these past few weeks, I mean, you remember adults what it was like. Weeks seemed like months. And the agonizing weight of staring at those packages under the tree, it's all going to be realized and fulfilled tomorrow. But you know, that's appropriate and that's good this time of year, isn't it? To wait, to have that sense of longing and expectation for the day to finally be here. Because that's what the Advent season is all about. These weeks leading up to Christmas. It's to remind us that there were men and women like Simeon and Anna and Zechariah and Elizabeth, people of God who believed God's promises and eagerly expected God to fulfill the promise that he had given them. They were eagerly waiting and they got to see the very first Christmas day and behold the greatest Christmas gift of all, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. God's people should be eagerly expecting Christ's coming. I want to point out to you Hebrews chapter 9, verses 28, in verse 28 and 29. It says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. You see, the scripture that we read this morning tells us that Simeon was a man who had the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit lived in Simeon and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Christ. The the Savior that God would send, Simeon wouldn't die until he had seen him. And he was expecting and waiting eagerly for the Savior to come. It says the consolation of Israel. What does that mean? That's a weird term, isn't it? The consolation of Israel. We don't say that a lot, but that's what Jesus is. He's the one who came to console us, to comfort us, because our sin has broken us. We live in darkness. We live in the brokenness of our own sin. And he has come as our consolation. Simeon longed and expected for the coming of Jesus. And in the same way during this Christmas season, we are reminded that we too long for and expect Christ to come again. Notice at the end of verse, uh, that verse in Hebrews, I said that he is coming to save those who what? Are eagerly waiting for him. That's what true Christians do. 
They have an eagerness and an expectation of Christ's return. They want Jesus to come back. We say, Maranatha, Jesus, come. We long for you to come again and restore what is broken. We long for you to come again and repair this broken world and the sinfulness of our hearts and to establish your kingdom forever. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor who was executed by the Nazi regime days before the Second World War concluded, said this, The Advent season is a season of waiting, but our whole life is an Advent season. That is a season of waiting for the last Advent, for the time when there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Brothers and sisters in Christ, as you rejoice in and celebrate the first coming of Christ, the Savior who came and was born in a manger, let it remind you to be eagerly awaiting as Simeon did the second coming of Christ. The third thing I want us to see out of this passage this morning is Simeon's song. Simeon's song reminds us that Jesus alone is the hope of salvation for all people. Luke tells us that Simeon expected the Lord's Christ. He knew he would see the Lord's Christ. Christ is just a Greek word for Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one. And that's who Jesus would be. Jesus is the anointed one. He is a prophet, an anointed prophet, far greater than Moses or Elijah. He is an anointed priest, far greater than Aaron, Moses' brother. And he is an anointed king, far greater than David or Solomon or any of his other ancestors. He is the perfect anointed Christ, prophet, priest, and king who has come into this world to save you and me. That's what Simeon was expecting. That's what Simeon was longing for. And now just think about Simeon wakes up that morning in Jerusalem and there's a stirring in his heart. And the spirit says, it's time to go to this temple today, Simeon. So Simeon gets up and he gets dressed and he makes the journey up to the temple mount. And I imagine him just walking into the temple and seeing all of the people there and seeing the other young couples with their babies as they're dedicating those firstborn children to the Lord. How would he have known? Jesus wasn't glowing. It didn't say, hi, my name is the Messiah. He didn't have a sticker on his little clothes. How would he have known? The Holy Spirit led him. Simeon was a man who was led by the Holy Spirit. And I just imagine the Holy Spirit as he looks and he surveys all the people there at the temple. The Spirit saying, there he is, Simeon. There's the promise. There's the one I promised you would see before you die. And so we don't know for sure that Simeon was old, but we kind of have to assume that he probably was, right? Because he says, now, Lord, you can let me depart in peace. The pinnacle of my life, the greatest thing that ever has is or will happen to me is happening right now. The promise that you gave me that I would see your promised one, the one who would come and save us, here it is. Here he is. And he walks to them and he takes them up into his hands and he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. That's interesting that he says that, isn't it? Simeon knows that All the questions have been answered. All the problems have been solved. 
There's no more fear. There's no more worry. There's no more pain. He's speaking years before Jesus would die on the cross. But he believes it as if it's happened already because he's holding the Savior in his hands. He says, Lord, I can die right now. I don't have to see what else happens. You promised me that I would see him, and here he is. I'm holding him in my hands. I can go in peace now. He says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You know, Jesus is, Simeon isn't saying here that I found a document that explains your salvation. Someone came and explained to me the 12 steps I can take to be saved. No, he said, as he looked at this Jewish baby boy, son of Mary in his hand, said, my eyes have seen your salvation. Oh, dear soul in this place today, if you are hurt and ravaged and broken by the pain of sin, salvation for you is not in some program. It is not in some religious ritual. It is in the person of Jesus Christ the Son of God, who took on flesh and who came to die for you and me on the cross of Calvary, who rose from the grave, who lives today, and who is returning again, and who will save all those who repent of their sin and put their faith in him as Savior and Lord. It's interesting, isn't it, that in verse 2 he says that Jesus is a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. This is a fulfillment of many different scriptures, but I'll read one, Isaiah 42, 6 and 7. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, and from the prison those who sit in darkness. It was on this very platform almost 24 years ago that my wife and Jessica and I made vows to each other to be husband and wife. That's a good memory. Just think about all the people who were here to witness that. I see some of your faces in the crowd this morning. And Scott Carter, our former student pastor, uh, stood up here and did, did the ceremony. And we got married on January the 8th, 2000. So it's easy to, for me to remember our anniversary. Whatever year it is, that's how many years we've been born. Uh, we've been married. Uh, uh, so, you know, why January 8th, though? Because that was a Saturday. We could have been married on January 1st, 2000, and it was break. We were in school at the time, and so we needed to get married on, uh, on winter break. And we thought about getting married on January 1st, 2000, but there were some people worried. And for those of you who are alive then, you know why they were worried, right? Because everybody was thinking about what might happen on January 1st, 2000. Y2K, right? The whole world is going to be plunged into chaos and darkness as all those computers that were built back in the 1900s would flip over to zero, zero. And I mean, the grid was going to go down, potential nuclear holocaust. You know, I mean, just everything could have happened. And so they convinced us to wait a week and get married on January the 8th instead. I don't know what a week would have done if we, you know, if we were all hungry and dead and in darkness, but, uh, but, I guess we would have had to have a week to figure it out anyway. 
you know, as, as, as crazy, as, lo- as much as we like to laugh at ourselves from 23 years ago and just all the anticipation of that, none of us knew, did we? I mean, all the experts were saying that was something that could have happened. And just think about if it had happened. Think about if the whole grid goes down and everything and everyone is plunged into darkness. There's no more electricity. There's no more hot water. There's no more putting your stuff in the microwave. There's no more checking Facebook or calling anyone from a cell phone. There's no more nothing electronic. We are going back to the dark ages. Think about how radically different our lives would be if something like Y2K actually happened. It would be a catastrophic worldwide crisis. But I'm here to tell you today that we have a catastrophic worldwide crisis and darkness that is far greater than the one I just described. It is the darkness of sin. Every man, woman, and child, no matter where you were born, whether it was Sevierville, Tennessee, Nairobi, Kenya, Almaty, Kazakhstan, uh, Manila, Philippines, it doesn't matter where you're from, you have the same problem as everyone else, and that is you were born into sin. You were born into darkness. You have disobeyed God. You have violated his commands, and because of that, the whole world is enveloped in a spiritual darkness that has separated us from God, and there's nothing that we can do about it in our own power until Simeon held that baby boy up one day, and he said, look what I've got here, a light of revelation for the Gentiles, in other words, for the nations, all the people outside of Israel, and for the glory of Israel. Jesus would be the greatest of all the Israelites, the greatest of the sons of Abraham, the one who would be the perfect fulfillment of what God intended his people to be. But he would come not just to console and take away the sins of the sons and daughters of Abraham, of the Jews of Israel, He came for you and me. He came for Tennesseans and North Carolinians, and he came for Panamanians, and he came from people of every nation, tribe, and tongue to bring the light of God, to reveal to us who are in spiritual darkness now, here's who God is, here's who I am, and here's how much I need him. That's what God does to us, isn't it? Maybe in the In this crowd today, you're realizing that for the first time. As you're hearing this about Jesus, an awakening is happening. A light is dawning in your soul. And you realize that you've just been stumbling throughout your whole life. Stumbling around in the darkness. Groping about for solutions and answers for the hurt and the pain and the brokenness in your life. And none of them fix it. You're still in the dark. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He is the Lamb of God who came to save us. He's the one who came to bring light into our darkness. And he will do that if we will trust in him. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. By the way, tonight we're at 5 o'clock. I hope you can come back and join us. We're going to have a candlelight service. We're going to sing songs. The traditional Luke 2 Christmas story is going to be read. We're going to partake of the Lord's Supper together. It's going to be a beautiful time tonight at 5 o'clock. But when we light those candles, only a few of them are going to be lit with an actual lighter in the beginning. And the way that we light the rest of them quickly is everyone who already has a lit candle passes it on to the person beside them. 
It's a beautiful thing to watch because it's a beautiful representation of what God has called us to do, brothers and sisters in Christ. How weird would it be for the person beside you tonight to light your candle and the person beside you to not have their candle lit and for you to just kind of shift your body? I think I'll just keep this to myself. That's weird, right? That's so strange. But it's being disobedient when it comes to the reality of the light of the gospel. God has called us just as we have received the light of the good news of Jesus Christ from someone else to now turn around and pass it to another. The light of the revelation of God, Jesus Christ, our salvation. By the way, Brother Corwin, our student pastor this morning, mentioned the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, and he mentioned the blessing baskets for Kenya. There are so many ways that we can not just make the light of Jesus known to our neighbor, but to the nations. And so here's my little Lottie Moon plug along with Corwin. I hope you'll give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering this Christmas so that missionaries can go to the nations and share the good news of Jesus Christ. Can you see why Mary and Joseph were amazed? Can you see why they marveled now? I just think about what a year it's been for Mary and Joseph already. I mean, Gabriel has showed up and spoken to them. Mary conceived a child without knowing a man. Shepherds randomly show up there at the manger talking about angels who had appeared to them in the fields. When Mary visits her cousin Elizabeth, she's talking about the baby in her womb, John the Baptist, leaping for joy because of the presence of the Lord. It was a wild, wild year. And so I've just got to imagine that when Mary and Joseph walked into the temple, if it was me and Simeon took them out of my hands, I'd be like, well, this is par for the course, right? I mean, the kind of year we've been having, what else is gonna happen? You know, who knows? Uh, You just roll with the punches now. But they weren't indifferent to it. They didn't think it was strange. They knew that God was up to something and they were amazed by what they heard. And I hope you're amazed as well. I want us to also notice there that in verse 33, it says, and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother. Now notice this. Simeon's been speaking to Joseph and Mary there in the temple as he holds Jesus. But now Luke makes a point of helping us to see that he turns his attention directly to Mary and speaks directly to her. I don't know if Joseph walked off to go make the sacrifice or if he was standing there and, and Simeon just kind of focused his eye, eye attention, his, his eye contact with Mary or what. But I think it's important to notice that Luke tells us he spoke to Mary, Jesus' mother. Look again what he says. Behold, This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. We need to understand this morning that Simeon didn't just have a song, but he had a sign. Jesus was a sign from God. And Simeon's sign reminds us that there is no neutral ground with Jesus. There is no neutral ground with Jesus. Matthew 12, 30, Jesus himself said, whoever is not with me is against me. You look at what Simeon's saying here. He looks at Mary and he says, Mary, you've got to understand that this boy... Your son, 
He's gonna be a dividing line for the people of Israel. There's not gonna be any neutral ground. There's not gonna be a middle way. People will not be able to be just indifferent about Jesus. It's one way or the other. They're either gonna trust in him and rise to salvation, or they're gonna reject him and fall to damnation, to separation from God forever. And it's one or the other. There's no neutral ground. There's no middle ground for Jesus. And he says, and by the way, parenthetically, and mothers, I, I don't, Jesus, Je Jessica was just talking about reading this passage, being a, a mother of two sons, how she can't imagine Mary hearing these words and then thinking about them as she witnessed her son hanging on the cross and a sword will pierce your very soul also. Boy, when we think about what Jesus did when he died on the cross for our sins, when we think about the price that he paid to take away our filth and our wickedness, it breaks our hearts, doesn't it? Because we deserved that, not him, but we are so thankful for it. But imagine being his own mother. Simeon wanted her to know this is what's gonna happen and you're gonna be a part of this as you witness what happens. A sword will pierce your very soul also. And it says that the heart's of many will be revealed. That's true, isn't it? What you do with Jesus reveals who you are. How you respond to Jesus today exposes to everyone, God included, where your heart is at. And there's no neutral ground. You know, Christmas is a beautiful and wonderful and fun celebration, isn't it? And it's fun for us to be able to sing the songs and to open the gifts and to spend time with family and to eat good food together and to just enjoy the warmth of the holiday season and the warmth of the Christmas celebration. But we miss it. We miss it, y'all, when we don't remember that Jesus came to save us. And that we can't just sing songs about him and ignore him. We can't just add him onto our life in third or fourth place. Paul said to the Colossian church that Jesus must be preeminent in our lives. Jesus will be the most important thing in your life or he will be nothing in your life. There's no middle ground. He is appointed for the rise and the fall of many. My heart is stirred when I think about Simeon's words and when I think about Simeon's song and I think about the many brothers and sisters in Christ I see in this place today and I praise God that you have believed. You have turned from your sin and believed that Jesus came as a light into your darkness to fix what was broken, to take away your sin by dying on the cross and rising again. You will rise with him one day. But... I want to speak to you here in the crowd today who Jesus has just kind of been over here on the side for you. You know Christmas is about Jesus, but you've been trying to stand on a neutral ground. Listen, there's no neutral ground with Jesus. Will you decide today to put your faith in him? Will you decide today to believe in him and let him enter into your heart and transform you, make you a new person, and give you eternal life? I hope you'll do that before you leave this place today. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for the words of Simeon, words that you inspired him to speak. We just pray now that as we 
spend this time of invitation together that you would move. Let your Holy Spirit stir in the hearts of men and women right now. Everyone, if you would, just quietly stand right where you are. I'm going to ask our pastors to come and stand up front here. This is your opportunity today. Will you come today and just grab a pastor by the hand and say, I've been stumbling around in the darkness. I haven't found a solution to my problems, but I heard about him today and his name is Jesus. I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven. Will you come today and be saved? Let one of them pray with you and help you know how to step out of the darkness and into the light of Jesus. Or maybe today you've been trying to stand on neutral ground and you just want to come and say, Lord, use me. I want to be somebody who's serious about the word, somebody who's filled with the spirit and someone who is passing on the light of the gospel because everyone needs to hear about what Jesus has done. Will you come today? Come now as we sing. Uh, Brother Scott is going to lead us. Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and share. And if you want a pastor to follow up with you regarding today's message, reach out to us at severe.church slash follow up. Thanks again for joining us on the First Baptist Church Severeville podcast.